Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Hey, ladies, so glad to have you listening in. I want to share some content that I've been thinking about probably about a year now. Um, If I was going to title it something, it would be called The Miraculous and the Mundane. And and it's something that speaks to me in a lot of different passages in the gospel gospel accounts, but I'm going to uh, really focus in on one in in Mark chapter 5. But the premise is, is this. I don't I don't know about you, but sometimes I am believing for the Lord to do a miraculous work in the life of someone around me, whether it's a a turnaround in terms of salvation or um, a release from anxiety or recovered marriage, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, maybe even healing from a a sickness, but there's something miraculous that I'm, I'm believing for and praying for, and then when I think about the Lord doing it, I can think about the what next, and that part can overwhelm me if I don't surrender it to the Lord. And so um, I, I had a friend, I have a friend, and she was uh, in a situation where she was ministering to a family member and really had felt prohibited or inhibited is a better inhibited from speaking freely with her family member about what was going on uh, in that relative's life. And, and I'd asked her, why, why don't you feel like you're able to speak about this? And she said, because I know that it's not anything I can help with whenever she chooses to talk to me about it. And so you could fill in the blank with a, a wide variety of, of answers about what the things are um, that maybe you're resistant to minister to in someone's life because you don't feel like you can make any meaningful impact in that area. But I just want to encourage you uh, that that the Lord is in charge of the miraculous, and so often His command to us in how we care for those who have received great miracles in their life is often something that we would categorize as mundane. And mundane, by definition from dictionary.com, one of my favorite websites, um, is mundane is defined as of this world rather than a heavenly or spiritual one. And I know you may be listening and think, well, this that seems like counterproductive to the heart of this podcast, but it, it's not. Um, this is a podcast. This episode is about letting God be God, letting Him reign in the miraculous, but also being willing to be obedient in matters that are mundane when they come into partnership with the miraculous that he's doing. And so back then with that friend, after we'd had this conversation, I read this passage in Mark chapter 5, and it just jumped off the page to me, and I encouraged her with that. Uh, And so I just, I want to take that same thought process and encourage you today. So um, Mark is one of the gospels. It's the shortest, it's the shortest gospel. Um, I don't really have a favorite gospel. I keep, I may have said a different 
uh, thing about that in a different podcast because it changes. I'll be reading one and it'll be my favorite gospel and then I'll switch to a different one. Uh, but Mark is a great one. It is one of my favorites, but I don't know if I can say I have a have a favorite. So um, we're reading, we're right in the heart of Jesus's emerging ministry with his disciples. So they're doing a little bit of everything right now and word is getting out about uh, about Jesus, uh, who some already knows the Messiah, others see him as a, a rebel, uh, some see him as a prophet or a rabbi. And so whenever, if you'll go ahead and if you are following along in a Bible or on your phone, you can open to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over in the boat to the other side of the sea, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed on the seashore. One of the synagogue officials, whose name was Jairus, came up, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged anxiously with him, saying, my little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in around him from all sides. I just want to encourage any, not just parents listening, but especially parents that feel overwhelmed with circumstances in their children's lives. I'm just coming from a lunch where... Um, uh, my sweet friend was was walking through that, and and you know I just have toddlers, and I feel overwhelmed some days. So I, I can imagine the complexity uh, that will grow with that as, as my children go. But regardless of if it's your children or other circumstances, but there there may be things in your life that fit the description of what this synagogue leader Jairus is saying to Jesus. He's saying, "My little daughter, this." This person that is dear to my heart is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. I just want to encourage you as we work through this, whatever that is in your life that feels like it is at the point of death, a relationship, um, whatever it may be, I pray that you'd be able to bring that to the feet of Jesus I'm just going to paraphrase the next few verses because as Jesus is on his way um, to to heal this little girl, he actually heals another woman with an issue of blood, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And we're not going to dive into it, but man, is it is it encouraging? And so um, as he's on his way, it it picks back up in 35 this exchange with this synagogue leader named Jairus, and it says, while while he was still speaking, Jesus, that is. Some people came from the synagogue official's house saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? Overhearing what was being said, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Only keep on believing. I think there's some great wisdom uh, for us right here. We all have circumstances in our lives uh, where where the world will be quick to tell us what the diagnosis or prognosis is for for those circumstances. This is dead. Get over and move on. Maybe it's your marriage. Uh, maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a, a, an estranged relationship, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a moral failure actually that you had or that you're living in right now where you hear that voice saying, this is dead. Forget about it. There's no coming back from this situation. 
I want you to hear the words of Jesus that I just read. I'm going to read them again after everyone's making this fuss about it. Jesus said to him, to the synagogue official, do not be afraid. Just keep believing. Moving on. It says, Jesus allowed no one to go with him except Peter and James and John. If you listen to our podcast on calling, those were, uh, were the ones that, that we talked about that, that Jesus had, had called. Verse 38, they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he looked at the uproar and the commotion and people loudly weeping and mailing, uh, wailing. Excuse me. I think what's interesting about this is that uh, the synagogue leader comes to Jesus. He asks for help. Jesus is going out of his way and on his way to help this man. And already there's this rebut that has been brought from a distance saying, it's too late, don't come here. And Jesus kind of speaks peace into that situation to the synagogue leader. And he says, keep on believing, do not be afraid. And then they enter the scene and all hell has broken loose with how everyone is acting about the situation. I don't know about you, but I feel like in my life that has happened many times. I've partnered in prayer with people where that has happened many times, where there has been some some kickback in a situation, then Jesus breathes his peace into it. And then, man, it's like an amplified version of the initial discouragement that, that comes back up and it is overwhelming. It says it the words of the scripture are commotion, wailing, uproar. Okay, so... If that's you, if that's something you're going through, keep listening. This is not sending Jesus away, okay? Jesus does not leave because of the uproar and the commotion and the loud weeping and the wailing. He actually asks the question in verse 39, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is sleeping, Man, that is beautiful. The child has not died, but is sleeping. When you invite Jesus into a situation, I'm not saying that the outcome of how he works in that situation is always going to be the same because that's not true. God is all-knowing and I am not. But what is true is that when you bring Jesus into a situation, he has the final word over that situation. So his word here where he's saying this child has not died, but is sleeping, This is the authority in the situation. And I just think about Jairus, the synagogue leader, and his wife, and how confused he must be in his heart and his mind. He's gone to Jesus, laid at his feet. Jesus is traveling with him. People come and say, oh, no, it's too late now. Your daughter is dead. His heart drops. Jesus speaks back into the situation, says, do not be afraid. Just keep believing. They get to the house. There's commotion, uproar, welling. Jesus says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And then more 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 commotion and, quite frankly, corruption ensues as the crowd begins laughing and scoffing at Jesus in verse 40. Oh, man, man. If you feel like you've brought Jesus into a situation and everyone around you is scoffing at your belief that you've held on to despite the reports, despite what circumstances look like, you're probably in a good place. Just keep holding on, sister. Let's see how this story moves forward. Verse 40, they began laughing scornfully at Jesus because they knew the child was dead. But Jesus made them all go outside. And he took along the child's father and the mother and his own three companions, and he entered the room where the child was. You know what? I love 
that Jairus was faithful to believe despite this whole back and forth journey of trying to get Jesus uh, from the out of the boat scene into this child's room. And because he faithfully persisted and believed the presence of Jesus is coming in to the place that this person in need dwells. If you've ever doubted your ability to be an effective intercessory prayer warrior, look at this story. Look at this story. This is someone who believes in Jesus coming from the feet of Jesus to going on a journey with Jesus, sticking by Jesus' side until Jesus and the presence of Jesus shows up in the situation. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I think that the practical application is that when there are active voices of unbelief in your life and circumstances, when there are people on a regular basis that are telling you to look at the temporal, to look at the surface, to look at the circumstances, you need to let them out of the room, just like Jesus did. The people that experienced the presence of Jesus as He worked a miracle were not the ones who were being led by what their eyes could see. They were the ones who were being led by what their heart knew. There's application for all of that in this. This really has nothing to do with where I'm going in the podcast, but it's just too powerful not not to share. So verse 41, Jesus has entered the room. Taking the child's hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated from Aramaic means little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, get up. I'd said earlier that Jesus works differently in all all situations. And in the Gospels, He heals people in a lot of different ways. In fact, one way we see, um, I believe, the the case of the centurion and and His servant, Jesus uh, just speaks through His authority from a different place for this person to be healed. and, And that happens. But in this case, he takes the child's hand and he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. Jesus knew what was needed in this circumstance and in in these circumstances. And that's the way that he chose to operate in his supreme love, in his supreme knowledge, in his supreme power. He takes the little girl by the hand and he speaks life into her. And I think, oh, how that house must have sounded differently than it had five minutes before, how things must have shifted at the presence of Jesus, not only coming into a place, but coming into a place where He was surrounded by those who believed He could do what He said He was going to do. We're talking the difference of the sound of life and the sound of death, the sound of victory and the sound of defeat. So as you assess your own life, and, and whatever the circumstance is that, that feels daunting, whatever that circumstance is that needs the word of Jesus saying, hey, it's okay, get up, live. Who are the people in your room right now? Who are the people with you? You ask Jesus to come into the situation, and then do you have people that also believe that can partner with you, that can experience the presence of Jesus. You know, God is so good. He is so good. I I imagine there are some folks listening that maybe you have had a relative die where um, 
you know, you may even feel, you may be hearing me say this and, and thinking, where was Jesus when my relative passed away or whoever was dear to me? And, and what I believe to be true about my Savior is that He was there holding their hand as well if they were, the, if they were His child. And I think a little child get up looks different for, for different people. And ultimately that comes, that comes under the sovereignty and the provision of our God. But I know this. The book of James says when we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. When we invite Him into a situation, He comes. He comes. Verse 47, the little girl immediately got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. The little girl immediately got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they who had witnessed the child's resurrection were overcome with great wonder and utter amazement. Verse 43, this is where I'm landing. Then Jesus gave strict orders that no one should know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I don't know about you, but if I was the parent of that little girl, I might have been expecting some kind of long list of what we need to do to sustain her health moving forward. How can we continue in the provision of this wondrous miracle? What do I need to do? I I can imagine probably um, in my flesh, I would have gone to some works-based mindset. Do I need to to go attend uh, the synagogue this many times? Do I need to fast? Do I need to tithe more? Uh, What do I need to do to sustain your miraculous provision, oh God? And Jesus says, give her something to eat. The mundane, something so simple, something so insignificant that it definitely would not have topped my list of what the next step was going to be after Jesus had performed a miracle. So when we think about that something to eat and what that means, even in mundane terms, mundane terms, talking about basic nourishment, and what does it look like to nourish the miraculous work of God? Because you know what? We're all called to it. We are all called to make disciples. We're all called to participate in the transforming power of the gospel. So how do you nourish the miraculous? I would suggest a few basic ways that you do this and that you're called to do this. The New Testament says that we're called to show hospitality at all times. Have someone over to your house for dinner. Take someone for coffee. Be part of community where bread is broken together. I've kind of sporadically discipled a lot of people over over my my walk with the Lord. And I probably the way that I do that has changed a lot. I used to feel a lot of pressure in doing that. And in just I would try to pour all of my years of walking with the Lord into a one hour meeting time and then really feel some defeat if I didn't see transformation at the end of that hour. And that was kind of my approach to discipling. And just in the past year, the Lord has reminded me about the importance of this story. Give them something to eat. Quality and value is found in the time that you spend together with other people. So when I'm in a discipleship relationship with someone, in my circumstances, I may not—I used to try to open the Bible and read through an entire 
chapter. So that I'm like, oh, check that off the list, done. But I've learned that there's value in the hospitality and community of just being with someone and really um, consuming uh, the word and talking about uh, that rhema word for our life. What is God? What has God inspired to you in your reading of the word this week? Or maybe it's even in our culture, it could look like by giving someone something to eat, it could look like basic encouragement sent through, sent through a text message um, of a passage of scripture or a prayer that you have prayed with someone. It's very, very simple. The bread of life is Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. So as we think about how we nourish the miraculous, we give people something to eat. We point them back to Jesus Christ, the bread of life, over and over again, and they feast on that. And it happens in a variety of settings. So I want to encourage you, if you're the person coming out of something miraculous, do not feel overwhelmed. Just continue to eat. Continue to eat the bread that you don't have to work for. That's the the way the book of Isaiah describes it. Or if you're someone in a a relationship with a a new believer, you're discipling them, don't feel overwhelmed. God handles the miraculous. Can you nourish with the mundane and the everyday parts of life, like sharing a meal together, feasting on the Word of God, feasting on the reality that Jesus Christ is the bread of life? Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for what we learned about your character in this story. God, you could have so easily been been offended when people ran up and said, this little girl is dead. It's too late. All of those, Lord, they were digs at, at who you were. They were unbelief toward what you were capable of doing. But amidst all that, you had your eyes and your heart and your mind on the request of this man, Jairus, and on his little daughter who needed your presence in her room. I thank you, Father, that because of your character, you're always displacing death and bringing life into it. You did that through your entire existence, through dying on the cross and and resurrecting. I pray that we would be bold as lions in giving others something to eat that it would be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray that for those listening, that you would pour out generous hospitality and walking in hospitality on their lives. I pray that you would pour out and open doors of community for people who are desiring right now to have someone to eat with, to enjoy that bread of life with, that uh, communion and community. Lord, I pray that you set the lonely in families because your word says that you do. I pray for every woman who has herself received some nourishment and something to eat simply by listening to this podcast today. May she go and feed the world around her. So Jesus, help us be like you, not to walk in offense, but to walk committed to believing that there is life at the end of circumstances that seem dark, to trusting you with the miraculous and to being faithful to nourish with the mundane. Thank you, Father. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. We gather for our monthly worship gathering open to any woman who has interest the second Tuesday of every month at the Monterey in the Arts District of Durant, Oklahoma. 